outside again. Isn't it nice to be back outside? Alhamdulillah. Alright. Uh, we left off. On I think excessive speech. Right? Excessive speech. Alright, Bismillah. So the section, as a reminder, is a section where Imam al-Muhasibi is talking, he's continuing his conversation on the idea that the source of all kinds of problems in the heart is uh, basically excess. excess anything that's extra more than what's needed anything that's extra more than what's needed is going to lead to some sort of issue in the heart of the person in terms of spiritual diseases and then after he says that he kind of moves and he goes uh, one piece after the next until he's trying to get to the point where he's saying okay so what happens when you have excess in your food what happens when you have excess in your speech what happens when you have excess in your living, your way of living, so on and so forth. So we left off where he's saying, excess in speech leads to essentially talking too much and talking about things, making innovations in what you're talking about that are not acceptable. Then he says, فضول الغذاء يخرج إلى الشره والرغبة فضول الغذاء يخرج إلى الشره والرغبة that extra food will lead to what's his translation, Sheikh Honest? Desires and greed. Extra food will lead to desires and greed. Desires and greed. This is an underappreciated point, subhanAllah, that our ability to discipline ourselves and our food is extremely, extremely important. And uh, it, it turns out that we need a lot less than we think we need. And that we often fill ourselves with things that are completely useless in the first place. Actually, they go beyond being completely useless. They're actually harmful. So being completely useless would be one problem. Harmful is another problem. Like, for example, Oreos. <laughs> Certainly, there's a lot of joy in Oreos. If you have the proper methodology for how to dunk them Not everyone knows how to do that But if you have a proper method of how to dunk the Oreo There's a lot of joy in the Oreo Because they've been chemically manipulated to do that to you And uh, But the reality is that we need a lot less than we think we do SubhanAllah And it's very liberating to realize that It's very liberating to realize Oh SubhanAllah actually I, 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 I am okay You know I didn't actually need that much And these extra things I didn't need to waste on them And I'm just going to try to stick to the things that matter And they're real and they're true Have good nutrition to them So they'll lead, if not, then it will lead to desires and greed Shaykh Abdul Fatah radiallahu ta'ala anhu He says in the bottom Two important quotes, we're going to read both of them He said يُشِيرُ بِهَادَ إِلَىٰ أَنَّ التَّوَسْعَةَ فِي الْغِذَاءِ وَالتَّرَفْ فِيهِ قال الإمام ابن الجوزي رحمه الله تعالى في كتابه سيد الخاطر لا ينبغي للإنسان أن يحمل على بدنه ما لا يطيق فإن البدن كالراحلة إن لم يرفق بها لم تصل بالراكب وإن مطعم يؤذي البدن فيفوته فعل خير 
فينبغي أن يهجر ولا تظننا أني آمن بأكل الشهوات ولا بالإكثار من الملذوذ إنما آمر بتناول ما يحفظ البدن وأنهاء ما يؤذي البدن وأما التوسع في المطاعم فإنه يسبب النوم والشبع يعمي القلب ويرهل البدن ويضعفه فالطريق هي المستعر So he said رضي الله تعالى عنهم the, uh, in his mentioning of going overboard when it comes to food and being excessive in it there's a warning in this because what it does is it leads a person step by step to following their desires basically that will harm them in their religion and in their body it's a very a practical area to discipline ourselves actually is in our food there's a lot of other things we could do but this area of disciplining the food is very immediate it's very regular and I get to try it over and over again and if I can control myself in my food, then likely I'm going to be able to control myself in other things. And if I can't control myself in my food, then likely I'm not going to be able to control myself in other things. So this is the point that he's trying to make. And all of the ulama have said this. He says, so the person who is intelligent, even, even, if, even if they are wealthy, they should be moderate in their food consumption. Because even if they're wealthy and things are easy for them, which would basically be all of us in a, if we were in like an international and multi-generational scale, that would be all of us, you know? Even, yeah, even, like, uh, even people who are really struggling with food can probably get better food than a lot of people still. SubhanAllah, they can go to a pantry, they can get good food. I'm not saying that, the, I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying like on an international scale and on a... Um, on a cross-generational scale, still we have access to a lot of food. So he's saying we have to take it easy, we have to be balanced. But then he says, because, but we should recognize that going overboard is harmful, and going underboard is also harmful, so to speak. Like not eating enough is also harmful, and eating too much is harmful. So he said, and then he quotes Ibn Josie, who Ibn Josie basically says that the person should eat enough that is needed for them to do what they need to do. And they shouldn't eat more than that, essentially. But they shouldn't harm themselves by lessening their food so much so that they're not able to function properly. Uh, this was definitely like a pre-modern thing, that you would find that as people in like a spiritual practice, you know, they would lessen their food as much as they possibly can. And we're not talking about like someone who's dieting. We're talking about like if you were to look and do a Google search on how many calories you need in a day, they're not meeting anywhere near that, right? They're probably eating like 500 calories in a day or something, 300 calories in a day, they're eating like nothing. You know, so that's a level of, of, of lessening that's actually harmful. And then of course there's an amount of eating that's, that's also harmful. And so the idea would be, I want to lessen uh, how much I take in, so much so that I can function decently and properly, uh, but not so much that I'm harming myself. And he says because when, one of the points is that when we go overboard in our food, it makes a person sleepy, and it, it blinds the heart. It blinds the heart. SubhanAllah, you know. Uh, if you don't believe it, try it. Uh, and it actually makes the body weak. So we should take a middle route. Um, basically, it's very simple, actually, SubhanAllah. It's really, really simple. Basically, like, eat things that are real, they're not processed, preferably whole. You eat those things, and you don't eat sugar, too much sugar, you don't eat too much sweets, don't eat too many extra things that are just on the side. And then, don't even eat up to one-third. Don't give yourself that liberty. The Prophet ﷺ, as we know, he said that the, um, the worst thing that the son of Adam can fill is their stomach. And if they're going to eat, then they should eat a few bites to keep their back straight. And if they need to eat more than that, then they should eat uh, one-third for food, one-third for drink, one-third for air. It won't be fixable right now. I don't think. Does it sound bad? Uh, it doesn't sound bad, but they can't really hear too much. On the online thing? Yeah. I have another solution. It's not that it doesn't work. I think there's a computer issue. It's not getting, it might be the adapter. Because somehow it's not getting power. 
So, anyways, hopefully now are they online? Yeah. See, see if see if it helps. Inshallah. Thank you. Sorry about that. Thank you. Guys. Um, Say she needs something, that's a mosquito. I'm willing to kill you. <laughs> In my classroom at school, especially when it was like mosquito season, it was like the hunt was on every day in school. We'd kill, we'd get, we'd get bodies every day, like two or three bodies. And we'd leave them. And so their friends know, you know? <laughs> it's really cold. Uh, so being balanced in our food. So if we do that, one third, one third, one third is a high limit. The low limit is actually just enough to keep the person going. So we eat real things, whole things, clean things, just enough to, that we need, you know, then uh, everything will be fine, inshallah, in most cases. Uh, Basically, going overboard in clothes leads to arrogance and showing off. Leads to, and like competing with one another to see who can have the nicest clothes and all of this kind of stuff. It's not also matloob. No? It's fine to wear things that are nice, obviously. It's fine to have some sort of um, appreciation for style. It's, uh, it's, those things are fine. But going overboard with it. Uh, we should try to rein ourselves in. Like, I have like, never mind, I'm not going to say it. We shouldn't go overboard in it. So, going overboard when it comes to one's lifestyle leads to waste and like being prideful with other people you know like my house my style of living everything that i have in my home all of this kind of stuff if i go overboard now i'm going to fall into this whole thing i saw this in the muslim community i thought it was an interesting phenomenon where like people would go to each other's houses and observe things and then like talk to other people about it like oh so and so in their house they have this couch and they have this thing and they have this decoration that is always a very strange thing subhanallah it's like very strange thing to talk to people about. Uh, so being too worried about that leads to also some sort of excess and arrogance with other people. Now Sheikh Abdul Fattah, he says, uh, these are the things that he said, but he's going to go over uh, some more. So what would the limit on some of these things be? So he says, going overboard in speech, is to mention that which you weren't asked about or what is not appropriate to be said at a particular time and to get involved in things that don't concern you. That's going overboard in speech. It's very interesting principles he gives here. So to mention something you weren't asked about. I think we talked about that a time ago. And then uh, to talk about things that are not appropriate for the situation. You know, or to get involved in things that aren't your business. Number two, what is, it, what is going overboard in food and drink? It is to go over the level of satiation and also to be excessive in the different varieties and variations on the food. This is usually where Southern California Muslims get mad at me. Alhamdulillah, it's not the job of a teacher to make you happy with them. Yeah. Uh, we do sometimes go a little bit overboard in this food thing. This new thing and that new thing. Especially when I lived in Orange County, I saw it actually. More than some other places. The Orange County is like a big thing. The new restaurant, the new thing. You have to try this. Did you try this? Like every, every conversation is around food. And what I said to someone recently is, forgive me for saying this. Akramakumullah. That's it. Uh, it's the truth at some level. You, two people eat different things. Maybe one of them is like a really special thing. One of them is not really a special thing. A couple hours later, they're not so different. 
you know. <laughs> so that's the end of it. I'm not saying, enjoy your life, you know, alhamdulillah. <laughs> but if we can accustom ourselves to simple things, it's really good. It's really good if we can do that. We can accustom ourselves to... I've I I told this story before that, you know, subhanAllah, there, there was this man that uh, he used to work in the Arabic center that we went to. He, he wasn't like a teacher, he was like a, kind of like, he was basically the chai woman. I don't know, like, he was the guy who served tea, essentially, you know? Like, he would wipe people's cars and he would serve the tea and that was like, clean up the place, that was his job, right? And usually, if it was like time to get food or something, then I'd go with him. Like that was our, we go, and um, we go get food or whatever. And of course, there's only one place you go to get food if you're in Egypt, and it's breakfast time, or like any time before dinner. There's only one place really you're gonna go for food, and that's to the full stand. So we go to the full stand, we get there, and he he said like, I don't know, you know, sometimes Subhanallah, when someone says something to you, you can just feel the ikhlas of it. Like it's such a sincere. He was so sincere when he was saying what he was saying. And he's like a simple guy from the village or something, you know. So we get to the full stand and he's like, he's like, SubhanAllah, Akhi, you know. Sometimes I come and I think to myself, Alhamdulillah, look at how much blessings we have. He's like, I come and we have food and we have falafel, ta'miyah, and Cairo food, Arab falafel. We have ta'miyah and we have mashed potatoes and we have french fries. And we have fried, uh, boiled eggs, and we have eggplant, and we have masaa. I don't know what masaa is, like something masaa. It's really good. <laughs> and uh, and we have it's eggplant too, but I think isn't it like a, a, yeah, so another type of eggplant. If you notice how many we have potatoes, we have variations on potatoes, <laughs> variations on beans, and variations on eggplants. <laughs> three three items gets like twelve options. And he's like, and I, and I come and I think, subhanAllah, look at all these options Allah gave us. What a general, like, alhamdulillah, shukran you know? And he was really, really sincere. And he would eat that every single morning for his whole life. Every single morning he's going to go to the same options and eat the same thing and be really happy about it. You know? That's a quality that's really, really, really good to, uh, uh, to look for. And try to develop within ourselves. And to realize that most cultures have some food that's really cheap and really effective. And everyone eats it. That's like, an, it's like a good tradition to pay attention to. You know? Only in other places where you go like 70 different options of cereal and none of them do anything for you. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> but like, yeah, you gotta get food, you get lentils, you get different things that are useful. All right, enough of this. What's too much sleeping? Too much sleeping is to sleep more than you need. And too much staying awake is to stay awake in something that's not beneficial or useful. It's not of any benefit. A really neglected sunnah of the Prophet is the sunnah of after Isha, you're not supposed to be doing anything. The only excuse for staying up after Isha is basically in worship and the matters of the Muslims. I know, it's an extreme position. I'm not try to understand. We're not in a book right now about like halal and haram. Okay? The book is about how do I get to levels that are higher than halal and haram. So if this doesn't work for you, it's okay. And you're not like you're not doing something haram. If you stay up until twelve at night, one in the morning, I don't know, watching Turkish dramas instead of other things. We'll, make them, we'll at least make it Turkish dramas. And hanging out with your friends and like drinking tea in the mall or something. I don't know what people do. It's not, as long as you wake up on time for Fajr, it's not haram. You didn't do something haram. Okay, so this isn't about like guilt tripping the people who do that or making you feel bad for that. It's, it's none of that. But it's to recognize that the way of the Prophet ﷺ is, after Isha, you sleep. Or, after Isha, you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or, if you're up after Isha, you're staying up dealing with the affairs of the Muslims. 
Like this is the Prophet Sallallahu was known to do that. Him and Abu Bakr, sometimes they would be up. They had things they need to talk about, things that need to get dealt with, people that need to be helped, so on and so forth. They talk to each other, they handle the situation, and they go sleep, right? <coughs> Why? Because he's going to get up for tahajjud, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And if you don't go to sleep after Asha, then you miss tahajjud. And if you miss your whole life tahajjud, you missed a lot of khair. And we missed a lot of khair if we, if we missed that, you know? I miss the days before phones, subhanAllah. You know, some of you may not know. There was a life before smartphones, and it was a beautiful life, subhanAllah. You, Aisha would come, it was done. There's no like laying in your corner by yourself staring at this bright light that's like shining in your eyes for hours on end and like you feel kind of like cracked out afterwards. It, like it wasn't, that didn't exist. Like yeah, you can watch a TV into late hours, but it's still different than having this thing like in your face and you're kind of like huddled with it and like it's very, uh, subhanAllah. Allah help us. Right? Yeah, like we said last time, I think it was last time or the time before, the sunnah of the Prophet is the art of living. We have to try to, uh, myself included, I'm not like, I'm also the victim of all of these smart people who decided, figured out how to make things that make us addicted to them. May Allah help us. But that's staying up too late, he says. Staying up late is staying up in something that's not beneficial. What is excess in clothes? To buy more than you need for the different seasons of the year and for special occasions. More than you need. <laughs> Not, uh, everything else. More than you need. Other than that, it's excess. What is excess in the person's living? It's basically to be more than they need. Each family, each thing has an amount that they need. And to be more than that is excess. Could you have a legitimate reason for that excess? You could, but then it wouldn't be more than you need. <laughs> right? Like maybe you have guests a lot, or maybe you have a big family. Or maybe you want to have a possibility for people as they get older, you can welcome them into your, into your home. Maybe there's different things, then that's your need, right? It's okay now. But just to have, like, sometimes you drive by these huge houses, and you're like, subhanAllah, what are they, what? It looks so lonely. Like, they're never together. It's too big of a space. Al-fudun fil Again, what's excess in furniture is taking more than you need. What's excess in the glance is to look at that which is not of benefit to you and which does not concern you. To look at that which is not of benefit to you and does not concern you. He says, as for looking at things that are haram, that's haram. That's not even, that's if we already went past that, right? We're talking about now excess. Excess is to look at things that don't concern a person. I think we talked about that last week too, right? Like this idea that the Prophet can jundu basri in an and that most of his uh, vision was looking down. It's not, they're not going to be distracted by a bunch of things he doesn't need to be distracted by. So he says, an, an excessiveness in the company that we keep is basically just to spend time with anyone that we find and we know, rather than to try to spend time with people that are going to be beneficial for us. Uh, people always hear that and they're like, well, I'm just, uh, there, there's nothing wrong with this. And it's not contradictory to say this and to maintain relationships that need to be maintained that maybe don't meet this. Right? Some of the relationships that we have, for any number of reasons, we've, said, we've talked about this many times, we might have a bunch of relationships that we need to maintain that are not really so beneficial for us. We maintain them out of maybe like an akhirah benefit, and because there's a responsibility there, and there's a loyalty, and there's everything else. Well, so I maintain the relationship, and I control it in some sort of way. 
so it doesn't take me off course of what I'm trying to do. And then at the, so I managed to uh, try to balance these as best as I can. Excessiveness in spending is to spend on that which is not needed or on that from which benefit is not hoped for. We don't need it, and it's basically useless. If I spend on this, then this is extra. I didn't need to do that. Man, subhanAllah, when you read this, you feel like, I don't know how you feel. When I, feel, when I read this, it only increases me in my anger about <laughs> consumer culture that we live in. You know? It's insane. The way things are sold to us and how much we're being... Our humanity is literally stripped from us every single day. You know? People might think this is an extreme statement, but, uh, you know, like, if I can't even think freely, I can't speak freely. If I, if I speak, then the ad shows up on my, on my thing, right? This means I can't even speak freely without someone targeting my speech to try to sell me something and manipulate my emotions. That's a really extreme way to live. You know, that's a, that's not, this is an infringement on my humanity, you know? Let alone that people are talking about putting chips in their heads and their bodies and stuff. It's, I mean, like, subhanAllah. Call me extreme, you know? I'm okay with it. Fudulul ilm. Antas'ala amma la tahtaj ilayhi haliyan aw fi ma'bad. What's excessiveness in knowledge? It's to ask about things that you don't need now or later. Also, you see this now. Very like, we look up everything. Anything that comes to the mind, we look it up. Do I really need it? Not really, you know. And, and the habit of looking it up all the time makes it so that you're not going to remember it either, by the way. <laughs> like this, everything that pops up, I look it up. We all know it's true. Two weeks later, you have to look it up again. Like, oh, I remember I looked it up yesterday. I don't remember what it was. Why? Because it's a bunch of information. None of it's needed in the present or in the future. I don't need to know. So I'd rather just leave it out. And be able to focus. And fudunu fil kutub, astaghfirullah. And taqtani minha ma la yufiruka aw la yadkhulu fi majalika al ilmi. What's excessiveness in books? It's to obtain that which does not benefit you or is not connected to your field of specialization. Alright, that's the end of the footnote. It's all about excessiveness. We'll move on to excess. Move on from that now, okay? It's going to move on to another topic. Wa'alam as a narrative Imam Muhasibi. Wa'alam anna hifdha jawarihi faridha wa tarq al-fuduli fadila. So know that to protect the limbs from doing things that are not allowed is required. And to leave excessiveness is virtuous. So after he if you probably don't remember because the time has gone too far now. The section started with talking about things that are haram for the limbs to do. And then it moved on after that to uh, excessiveness. Right? So now at the end of this section, he's giving a summary. Protecting the limbs from that which is haram, it's required for us to do. And leaving those things that are extra, it's a virtuous thing to do. Right? There's like nobility and goodness in that. It's not required. Okay? I think we've beat this point sufficiently now, inshallah. Okay. فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أيها الناس توبوا إلى ربكم قبل أن تموتوا وتقربوا إن الله بالعمل الصالح من قبل أن تشغلوا. Hadith is very questionable. So we'll come to that. Tawbah. He says now, no, and he says also tawbah, and before all of this, all of the things that we have to stay away from in our limbs and all of the things that are excessive, and before all of that, tawbah is required. Toba is required. Toba is what? Usually we say repentance. Just take the word repentance, throw it out of your head, and remember the word Toba. 
Even if you don't have a translation. What does Tawbah mean? Tawbah means to go back. It means to go back. We don't, like sometimes words have cultures, words have flavors. The word for repentance has like a culture and a flavor and a feeling of being like very punitive, being very kind of like a little bit aggressive. This is not Tawbah. Tawbah is very simple, you turn back. I was going in one direction, I'm turning in a different direction. Now back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It says, before all of that, Tawbah is required. And Allah and His Messenger required it. Allah said, O you who believe, make Tawbah to Allah that is a true and good and pure Tawbah. And then the word that was used is Nasuha. Imam Muhasabi says, Nasuha means that the thing that we are making Tawbah from, we don't return to it. That's what it means. Make a Tawbah to Allah that is making this commitment and intending to not go back to it. Intending to not go back to it. We have to commit. You know, I know it's uh, we have commitment challenges. We uh, Amazon Prime trained us, and but we have to commit to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. This professionalism. We have to commit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we should know that that might be scary for any number of reasons. Um, sometimes it's scary because our understanding of what that means is actually not correct. You know, we need to re-look at our understanding of what Islam is and what it means and what it's asking of us. Maybe it's scary because you know, we just fear that kind of thing. But we should know and we should trust that a, a life that's dedicated to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be far greater and far more beautiful than a life that's not. A life that's dedicated to Allah is not a life that's guaranteeing you no problems. Okay? Be wary. This is, this is a big mistake. There is no guarantee here of no problems. The only thing is that People, people will always, dunya is filled with struggle. People always struggle. So the question is, what am I going to struggle for? Am I going to struggle for like something that doesn't really matter and is fleeting? Or am I going to struggle for something that matters? And when I struggle for something that matters, then what Allah gives us in return, or in recompense maybe, or in reward, is far greater than what we can even imagine. Let alone, uh, you know, it's, it's unquantifiable. So we have to turn back. And we should have himma about it. Like this is, we, like we should have strength and we should have desire and aspiration. And, and this is me and my relationship with Allah. And Allah is my Lord. Like he's, he's mine. I'm not going to give him up for my desires. I'm not going to give him up for what people think. I'm not going to give him up for some other, th whatever it might be. I'm not going to give that up. This is about me and my Lord. And I want to be right with my Lord. And I'm going to make that intention. No matter how many times I mess up, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to try to do the best that I can. But I'm not going to give up on this. And uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, you hear these stories in the past, you know, where like someone would attend a gathering and like 50 people would make toba on the spot. They'd like stand up and shave their heads and stuff like that, you know? There would be like a, like a scene to it, like that's it. I'm, 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 I'm back now, you know? And I'm gonna make this, make this uh, intention. I'm not saying you should do that right now. <laughs> I'm just saying we should make this, uh, always make intention, toba. We should always be making toba back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think actually, how can I say this without being coming off wrong? We have some challenge, I think, in some of our community spaces and leadership because sometimes it doesn't actually seem 
like the priority for people is to get right with Allah. And it seems like, you know, I want to have a project. I want to be part of something. I want to be important. I want my name to be attached to something. I want to be praised for something that I built or that I did or so on. But it's not like I want to get right with Allah. And that's really not good. <laughs> you know, may Allah help us. Even today, I was just thinking about it. I'm like, America has a lot of problems, obviously. But it has a lot of really good things. You know? Like, freedom is a real thing. To be able to, like, more or less dress the way you want, more or less do the things that you want, more or less, uh, you know, we're sitting here right now. That's, uh, we've talked about this before, that that's not really allowed in a lot of places. We'd be in a lot of trouble. Or we'd have to be kind of like, you know, doing some sort of strategizing to make it possible. Like, it, it'd be challenging, you know? Uh, there is actually a lot of money to be made in America, more than many other places. You know, a lot of places you're born into something, you can't really get out of it. That's where you are for the rest of your life. Yeah, I know, you don't have to, everyone always that whatabouts, you know? Well, what about, the, believe me, alhamdulillah, I have a decent knowledge of the oppression of America. It's basically my undergraduate degree. <laughs> Third world studies, it's basically the oppression of America as manifested all over the world. So I, you know, I have like a good understanding of the situation. And still, there is a lot of money to be made. That, like, like if we as a community really wanted really righteous, good, scholarly, amazing people in our lives, we really could do it. And they don't even have to be from here. Like we don't have to... Why is it always like, we're going to bring a sheikh so that they can work with the youth. So we're like, bring someone from another country because we want to work with the youth. I bring someone from another country because they're like Rajul and Saleh. This is a righteous person. You know, they're like a person of zikr. They're a person of worship. They're a person that if I'm in their company, my iman is going to increase. And they love people and they care for people. We don't even want, you don't even have to teach. We just go to them, we tell them, all we want you to do is live with us. <laughs> you know, we'll take care of your house. Like our communities can't handle this. Really? We'll take care of your house. We'll take care of your food. You can we'll have a car, someone can drive. Everything's very easy to do. You know, really in the grand scheme of things, it's very easy to do. And we'll bring you, you know. And if you ever want to leave, you can leave, no problem. You know? If you want to travel back home, you want to see people, no problem. But just Like we just want someone who's gonna ground us in this. Right? We can do that. Not not like we want you to come so you can wear twenty six different hats and we can run you into the ground until you flee to the desert. No, it's not really so nice, you know. SubhanAllah. We could do it. Prophet is reported to have said, I say it that way because this is a very questionable narration. Oh, you people, make tawbah to your Lord before you die. And come closer to Allah with good deeds before you are busied with other things. This narration is uh, Sheikh Abdul Fazah, I think this is the one he said. The, uh, anyways, the. Take the meaning of it. Meaning of it is good, right? Turn back to Allah before we die. That's it. the punchline of the whole thing is turn back to Allah before you die. That's, uh, that's, may Allah make us like that. And come closer to Allah by good works before you are made to be busy. Before you are made to be busy. That's the reality, is it? Things, uh, opportunities pass. Ya subhanallah. And, and sometimes we need that as a reminder. If, if you don't have small kids, you wouldn't understand. Like the idea of just praying two rak'ah or praying your dhuhr or your asr or something without interruption. You don't think about it. You're like, it's normal. I just pray. I pray my salat. There's, there's no interruption. It's really, like when you have small kids, it's really rare that you can actually pray 
without being worried about something. Either they're going to get into something, or they're going to do something, or they're going to wake Even if they're asleep, you're worried they're going to wake up. And <laughs> like, what's going to happen? Like, is to just pray, Khali and bad, completely free of any other concern, is a very rare thing. So, like, you don't think about it before you have small kids. Subhanallah. And they're a blessing, don't get me wrong. They're a huge blessing. But my point is just that sometimes we we don't do something when you know strike while the iron's hot. If you have a chance to do it, do it. Sayyidina Omar used to say, Laysa min al-rajuna and yu'akhir al-rajun al-amun in al-ghad. You know, basically like, if a person is able to do something today, it's not for manliness to delay it till tomorrow. If you can do it today, you do it today. You know? uh, we get busy. Like now we can't do it. وَلَا تَسِحْهُ التَّوْبَةُ إِلَّا بِأَرْبَعَةِ أَشْيَاءِ حَلُّ أَسْرَارُ الْقَلْبِ عَنِ الْمُعَاوَدَةِ وَالْإِسْتِغْفَارُ بِالنَّدْمِ وَرَدُّ التَّبِعَاتِ وَالْمَضَارِمِ وَحِفْظُ الْجَوَارِحِ مِنْ الْحَوَاسِ السَّبْعِ السَّمْعِ وَالْبَصْرِ وَالْلِسَانِ وَالشَّمِّ وَالْيَدَيْنِ وَالرِّجْلَيْنِ وَالْقَلْبِ وَالْقَلْبِ وَهُوَ أَمِيرُهَا وَبِهِ صَلَاحُ الْجَسَرِ وَفَسَادُهُ So he said, and, and he gives it different one actually. He says, and tawbah is not sound except with four requirements. Usually they say, we say three. He said, it's not sound except with four. Number one, is that to free the heart from its desire to go back? Basically, you don't intend to go go back to the thing. Some of us maybe we struggle with the things that we're making toba from, and so at some point you start feeling like even my intention to not go back to it starts to feel kind of petty. You know, like, but I know I kind of, kind of feel like I'm going to go back to it, even though I'm intending not to go back to it. Still, I'm not going to go back to it. And know that the Prophet wasallam said that the person will do a sin and they'll ask Allah for forgiveness, he'll forgive them. He'll do it again, ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive them. Do it again, ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive them. Do it again, ask for forgiveness, Allah will tell them. Go back to it as many times as you go back to it, I forgive you. It doesn't mean it's okay to do it, obviously, right? But it means this is part of the struggle. It's part of the struggle that I'm going to go back to it and I'm going to make my intention again and I'm, gonna, and I'm not going to give up. big thing is that we don't give up. It's really easy to give up on ourselves. Or I should say, we feel like it's really easy to give up on ourselves. Actually, it's harder after we give up on ourselves than it was before. Like, the difficulty that comes, with giving up, comes from giving up on ourselves is greater than the difficulty that comes with struggling with ourselves. Yeah. Number two is, Number two is that they ask Allah for forgiveness, and that asking of forgiveness is accompanied with some regret. I'm not going to go back to it. I regret this. And that's number two. Seek Allah's forgiveness. Number three is to return the rights of others if they have been taken. To return the rights of others if they have been taken. We've talked about this one before, so we won't belabor it. And number four is to protect the limbs uh, from the seven senses. Hearing, sight, speech, smell. Hearing, sight, speech, smell, the two hands, two feet, and the heart. Protect the limbs from it. Protect these, essentially. And that the heart is the leader of them all. And through the heart is the setting aright of the body or the corrupting of the body. Okay? What a beautiful sentence, subhanAllah. He said, And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made for every limb commands and prohibitions that are required upon the limb. Things that that limb has to do, things that that limb cannot do. And He has made between those commands and those prohibitions an area of space and an area of permissibility. And to leave those permissible things is a virtuous thing for the servant. 
Make sense? Understood? So every limb, there's things it has to do, things it cannot do. In between, there's other space. There's space. That space of things that are permissible in between, to leave much of that as a virtue for the servant. Now he's going to start and he's going to go through the limbs. Okay? So this, this is like the mission statement for this section. Mission statement is there's obligations on the limbs. Now he's going to go through each one. What is the obligation of the heart? Again, incredible statement. He says, what is the obligation of the heart? What is the obligation of the heart? He says, the obligation of the heart after belief and tawbah. So now we're assuming that's already out of the way. Right? So the person has to believe, they have to make tawbah. We already covered that, right? After belief and tawbah, what is the obligation of the heart? Number one obligation of the heart is, ikhlas al-amani lillah. To do, the, to do the things that the person does solely for the sake of Allah. I'm doing what I'm doing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a matter of the heart, right? Before anything else, it's a matter of the heart. Then he says, وَاَعْتِقَادُ حُسْنَ الظَّنِّ I'm going to give a... What do you call it? Literal translation first. Then we're going to look at Imam Zayd's translation. Then we're going to look at Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghuddah's footnote. And then I'm going to tell you why I actually disagree with him as a case study. Okay? As a case study of reading a text. Alright? Uh, and may Allah forgive me, you know, who am I to disagree with the Sheikh? But you already know how much I respect the Sheikh and how much I love the Sheikh. And I know Razi a Sheikh. You know, Sheikh Abdul Fattah, I owe like half my life probably to Sheikh Abdul Fattah, but I don't feel that what he said here is the best way to read this word. Yeah, I mean, people might, I could be wrong, but uh, it's good to like, we benefit from these things by learning how to read them and thinking about them. So, so this the literal translation is having conviction of good opinion when there's doubt having like a strong good opinion when there's doubt okay strong good opinion when there's doubt what's the imam's age translation <coughs> good thoughts that's all he said uh, good thoughts when in doubt good thoughts when in doubt and he didn't define it well, uh, actually he has commentary too doesn't he or you don't have do you not have the oh, commentary it's not imam's Suhaib Webbs, okay, Imam Suhaib, okay, good thoughts. Yeah, actually, if you don't give commentary, you free yourself from having to, like, pick this out, right? I'll explain why. So it's having good thoughts when there's a doubt. In the footnote, he says, this is what is mentioned in all of the manuscripts. So you can see that Sheikh Abdul Fattah is trying to understand what does this statement mean? He's checked all the manuscripts. All the manuscripts have the same statement. And then he said, Perhaps the meaning of it is, So he says, perhaps the meaning is that if you see someone else who's a good person doing something that looks doubtful, then have a good opinion of them. Because the default of the believer is that they have a good opinion of their brother. Okay? So the literal translation is good opinion when there's a doubt. Okay? Following? Are you guys with me on this? It's a little bit tedious, I know. Good opinion when there's doubt. Okay, and now we heard what Shaykh Abdul Fattah said. I'm going to come back to him in a little bit. Which means, and to have absolute trust in the promise of Allah. Absolute trust in Allah's promise. Okay? These are all matters of the heart. 
Obligation of the heart, remember? Obligation of the heart. To have absolute trust in his promise. And to have fear over his punishment. Okay? And to have hope in his bounties, in his gifts. Right? So, now look at this sentence. What is the obligation of the heart? Sincere action for Allah. I'll skip the second one. Trust in Allah's promise. Fear from Allah's punishment. Hope from Allah's mercy and benefit. Now, we have all of those that are connected to Allah, right? We have the other one that says, having a good opinion when there's a doubt. So who is the question here is, who is the good opinion referring to? Shaykh Abdul Fatah is saying, perhaps it's having a good opinion of your Muslim brother if you see them on something doubtful. It could be. I personally feel like this is actually having a good opinion with Allah when you have a doubt. Because everything else is about Allah. So there, what I would understand this to mean is that the we have things happen sometimes. We believe in Allah. And we have things happen in life sometimes where we're kind of like, we're not saying why Allah and like a, we're questioning you Allah, but there's a little bit of like, I don't understand what's going on here. I don't understand why it went this way. And I'm not really sure what to make of it. So what is my response as a believer? My response in the heart is to have absolute good opinion in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if I have some sort of like doubt as to things playing out the way that they're playing out. You can agree or you can disagree. It doesn't really matter. My point, is, my point that I was trying to make was that we should read, read things carefully and see you know, uh, what works. I think that this, if I, I believe that if you read it this way, it kind of like goes more with the context of the other points. But, you know, Allah Alam. Maybe I'm wrong. وَقَدْ رُوِيَا فِي مَعْنَى الْقَلْبِ أَخْبَابٌ كَثِيرًا مِنْهَا أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَسَلَمْ قَالَ إِنَّ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ مَنْ يَلِينُ لَهُ قَلْبِي وَقَالَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ إِنَّ الْحَقَّ يَأْتِي وَعَلَيْهِ نُورٌ فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسَرَائِنُ الْقُلُوبِ This is the one that's not really, uh, probably a hadith. I think the time is up. So we'll, uh, maybe we'll stop um, just at this narration of the Prophet the first of them that's mentioned here from the about the idea of the heart. Okay, so he's saying the idea, the concept of the heart. There's many narrations from the Prophet that deal with the concept of the heart. One of them is the Prophet saying, look at this statement. It says, Verily from the believers, they are those who my heart is softened towards them. Or my heart is at ease with them, you could say. Can you imagine the Prophet saying that about you? And he's saying, some of the believers, also it's a reminder to us that like, not everyone we're going to be like super comfortable with and easy to get along with, right? It's okay. And some people you're just going to feel really comfortable with them. There's, there's lean, the heart is soft to them. It's actually a narration from the Prophet them. But the Prophet them, look at this narration from Abu Umama. Man, to be Abu Umama in this narration, subhanAllah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from those who when we meet the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yaleenu, yaleenu lana qalbuhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abu Umama said, لَقِيَ نِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَأَخِذَ بِيَدِي ثُمَّ قَالْ يَا أَبَا أُمَامَ إِنَّ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ مَنْ يَلِينُ لَهُ قَلْبِي So Abu Umama says, the Prophet وسلم, took my hand and he held my hand and he said, يَا أَبَا, uh, يا أبا أُمَامَ From the believers there are those who my heart is soft towards them. He's talking to him, right? Can you imagine the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam takes your hand and says this to you? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
And we all experience that. اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك اي اني كومنتس اور كويشنز اور اني ثينج اي وود لايك تو شير يو سيد Basically, this realization that at some point, you know, we used to have to turn on a light to read at night. If you're in your room at night or something, and you're going to bed, and you turn on the light in order to read at night. And at some point, realizing that I don't have to turn on the light in the room anymore. And uh, you know, it's different. The way it comes into you is different. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, even you know, I I always for myself I do this. I recommend people to do this. Get a clock and like a night clock in your room. You know, like one that you can you can read it. <laughs> yeah, like a digital clock or something, not too bright, preferably, but somewhere in your room, so that when you wake up in the middle of the night, you don't have to look at your phone to see the time. You look at your phone to see the time you ruin your life. You see other things and you start like, okay, well it's here, and it's just like, nafs is crazy. But if you can look at something else, you just look and you're like, okay, alhamdulillah, I have another hour, I have another two hours. I don't have to deal with that. Anyone else have anything else? So, yeah. Like people who care about, like their biggest, Allahumma la tajana dunya akbara hamina. Wala mablaga hamina. May Allah not make the, this world the greatest of our concerns and the limit of our knowledge. But you, you see people who like, their only concern is to make money and have power and they, they struggle for that, right? Like, the people will get up early for that. People will lose sleep over that. People want to um, maybe like be fit, not necessarily for the sake of recognizing the responsibility of the human body and how Allah gave it to us, but for other reasons. And they'll struggle for that. You know, they'll limit their food, they'll, they'll exercise, they'll do different things. Um, so the point I was trying to make was that basically everyone will struggle for something. But if, and, and when I decide that I want to live my life for good, there will still be struggle. But at least now, like, my struggle was for Allah. It wasn't just for someone's appreciation or something. You know? Does that make sense? Okay. Anything else? They look like they're the food is over there? No? Okay. Okay. I have a story of the Sahaba I'll share with you. It's a very beautiful story, yeah. Go ahead, no, go ahead. Yeah, where does our tradition of coffee and tea come in? when it comes to overdoing it with food. Actually, coffee and tea is the easy part. They don't have any calories. If you don't add stuff to them, they don't have any calories. They're just liquid. And a lot of our, um, like for example, if you go to, like you guys have, probably some of you have been to places like in Saudi and stuff, and like the coffee they give you is very small. 
you know, it's just enough to tell you that they're thinking about you. And the point is made, you know. I think we have more of an issue in our in our Dawat culture. Our invitation culture is really kind of over the top. You know, uh, it's like seven different options of the food, and if there's not, then you're just a bad host. And there's like all of these all of these things are really uh, not good. You know? I understand they come from a good place, but when they get disconnected from where they come from, then it's a problem. Want to provide some variety to people? Alhamdulillah, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You want to treat people nice? Alhamdulillah, that's fine. But when it becomes like, if I don't do this, it's bad. If I don't do this, I can't invite someone. If I, you know, then it's a problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes we get a little bit extra with coffee and stuff. There's a coffee shop in San Diego. Some of the one of our friends, it's it's their coffee shop, and. Uh, they had this beautiful, they just started selling merchandise.